I'm optimistic for the condominium and purpose-built apartment asset classes, especially as the health crisis subsides past 2021. Now might be the most affordable time to consider investing in hard assets to hedge against currency devaluation and the oncoming inflation expected ahead. Hi, my name is Mel Giannone. I'm a commercial real estate broker serving entrepreneurial companies and individual investors seeking property across the greater Toronto area. Welcome to CRE Next. Work out loud. Here's what happened this week in CRE. Happy New Year, everyone. Welcome back to another edition of CRE Next Work Out Loud. These are episodes targeting commercial real estate strategists seeking insight into the current commercial real estate market for the greater Toronto area. So if you play a role in your company or transact in commercial real estate personally, then I invite you to help grow this online community with me. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, and tap the notification bell so that you don't miss out on any new content as soon as it's released. If you know of anyone who would be interested or can benefit from these episodes, please feel free to share the link with them. You can also find us on other social media channels like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn, as well as in audio podcast versions of the show. I look forward to connecting with you on all these platforms as well. I want to thank you for spending some time with me today. This week in CRE, I want to share with you some insights on the current GTA multi-residential market and condominium investment market. One, from a condo owner's perspective, we'll give you an update on your investments. And two, from an apartment building investor's perspective, we'll reveal the latest market statistics across the greater Toronto area to help guide you with your portfolio. As always, we'll begin with the big economic picture and then narrow down our focus on each asset class. has been an investment bizarro world where things you thought would be hurt through the COVID-19 economic slowdown actually excelled. The equity markets, the housing market, and vehicle sales, to name a few. Typically in a downturn, we'd expect household incomes and business investment to be suppressed. But the opposite has happened. 2020 saw the rise of Bitcoin and precious metals, typically purchased to hedge against risk, yet the stock markets broke records. These types of investments usually don't run parallel to one another. Almost always they have an inverted relationship. Why is this happening? Well, Canada's monetary policy is intentionally providing liquidity to the market and suppressing risk through the purchase of sovereign and corporate debt. The absorption of bonds is intentionally driving the yields down, which lowers interest rates and influences investors to seek higher, yet relatively safe, returns in the equity markets. At the same time, we see this approach being adopted by industrialized nations across the world, which is why investors are also hedging risk 
through the purchase of precious metals and Bitcoin. Let's look at Canada's efforts to offset a recession depression. Our country has taken on the largest fiscal stimulus program since World War II. Canada's deficit growth is now comparatively larger than that of any other G20 country by a significant margin. Excluding the financial sector, Canada's debt to GDP increased by nearly 80%. Fitch Credit Rating Agency stripped Canada's AAA credit rating over the deterioration of Canada's public finances. The International Monetary Fund, the IMF, estimates that Canada's deficit will continue to outpace all other G20 countries. The Bank of Canada has estimated the federal debt to GDP will rise close to 50% during 2021. This whole predicament seems crazy and scary, but Canada was at a great advantage prior to the COVID crisis as being the G7 nation with the lowest debt to GDP ratio at 31%. Even at the new 50% level, we remain lower than most G7 nations. The thinking behind the strategy is, so long as the GDP growth exceeds interest rates and debt servicing charges remain low, then the economy will remain sustainable. No doubt, Canada's programs have been generous and household focused compared to our G7 peers. Now, the risks come from the difficulty to rein in the spending. The key takeaway here is that the Bank of Canada will have to keep interest rates low for a very long time, continue to provide liquidity, mitigate risk, and grow confidence. Otherwise, the whole strategy comes apart. So we can expect to see much of the same investment strategies continue into 2021 until government mandated restrictions are lifted and our current consumption patterns change, creating different investment opportunities. However, health measures will be maintained until the rollout of vaccines reach a level of herd immunity and the COVID case curve is flattened to help hospitalization rates which could take all of 2021 to suppress. The new year will definitely be transformative. As we bottom out from the worst economic levels experienced in March 2020 and begin a sustainable run of growth sometime between second quarter and the end of the year, depending on any third infectious wave or outside economic interference, like the performance of the US economy, whose debt-to-GDP ratio sits upside down at around 130%. This is only likely to get bigger as President Biden vows to keep the stimulus going and invest in infrastructure projects immediately. Will they be able to dig themselves out of this debt spiral? Or could we witness the shift in world reserve currency going from the US dollar to some other form of world fiat digital currency? Could the world be ushering in a transition from US world dominance to China's new lead role as was originally planned for 2049, coinciding with the centennial of China's communist revolution? In 2015, the International Monetary Fund 
announced it awarded the Chinese yuan reserve currency status. In October of 2020, the US dollar lost its crown as the world's most used currency, slipping behind the euro for the first time since August 2013. Today, China is on course to trade places with the US by 2028 and possibly doubling the size of its economy by 2035, thanks in part by the acceleration caused from COVID and an aim to rebrand communism into what it calls modern socialism. Why do I mention all this to you? In my sole opinion, over the next decade, the tiniest potential for the death of the US dollar and subsequent revolutionary shift in economic power to the East is all the more reason to invest in hard assets today. Economic conditions might not get any more affordable than it is right now. Real estate will better weather this oncoming storm of transition and hold its value better than any fiat currency backed only by military might. GDP in Canada currently sits approximately at 4 to 5% lower from our peak levels, which is where we generally fell during the Great Recession in 2008. It took about two years to grow out from that slack, and it should take that much time again starting in 2021 and possibly up until 2023. As confidence grows, sometime between 21 and 22 could potentially become a breakout point for Canada providing some of the steepest investment gains over the next decade before flattening out. It's expected Canada's GDP will rebound between 4 and 5% in 2021. So what has all this meant for Canada's housing market? According to the Canadian Real Estate Association, the housing market went from weak because of COVID to strong despite of it. Sales activity ran hot in 2020, breaking records throughout the year, challenging all-time historical highs. Housing remains the strongest component of the Canadian economy. Also interesting to note is before-tax corporate profits, which grew 14.1% year-over-year and a staggering 1,234% quarter over quarter in Q3. These numbers are reflective of the effects government programs have had on cushioning the negative impact from the pandemic, which included mortgage and other deferrals and income support programs for businesses and individuals. According to the Toronto Regional Real Estate Board, average house prices across all types were up 13.5% year over year in 2020 growing to an all-time high of $929,699. That's some great appreciation on your investment. The number of house sales in the Toronto area were up 8.4% over 2019. Some of the reasons for this are because of pent-up demand, record lower interest rates which offset purchaser concerns towards July's new mortgage stress test, pandemic-induced shifts in needs versus wants, such as a sudden need for a work-from-home office, desire for more spacious accommodation away from population congestion, and the overall fear of missing out would compress the seasonal sales curve and bring forward 
any future demand into 2020. Moreover, slightly improved job market conditions, higher overall compensation levels resulting from the jobs that were gained back, and the vaccine rollout helped elevate confidence and push demand further upwards in the last quarter of 2020. We can expect the pace of home sales growth to flatten over this winter, but still grow throughout 2021, as there remains a small chance interest rates can come down further. Perhaps if the Bank of Canada considers a fractional cut to the lower bound overnight rate, or entertain negative interest rates as in Europe and Japan, should the economy stall or the Canadian loonie continue to rise against the US dollar. In our first episode of 2020, we had predicted the opportunities in real estate would come in the fall of 2020. Leading up to December 21st, this came true, but not for all types of housing and commercial real estate. Nevertheless, there have been opportunities in urban resale condominium apartments, especially in downtown Toronto, which had seen sales activity drop by more than 8.5% in October, before surging in December by 75.9% year over year. The thrust of the turnaround spanned six weeks leading up to the end of 2020. The stats were only overshadowed due to a level of supply for active listings, which were 159% in the GTA and 172% in the 416 area code. If you recall, prior to COVID, the price gap between new condominium apartment prices and detached homes in the GTA was closing in. In fact, the price for a new Toronto condo exceeded those for single-family, semi-detached, and townhomes in the GTA. As the fear from the COVID crisis set in and lockdowns began, it made more sense for home buyers to purchase affordable, reasonably priced suburban freehold homes over costlier new downtown condos. And it had been like that throughout the fourth quarter of 2020. Home sales for detached, semi-detached, and townhouses in the Toronto area in November were up 30% year over year. It's estimated by some that around 20% of the demand for single-family homes came from people trading up from condos. These were likely millennials or those occupying luxury two or three bedroom units of almost 2,000 square feet or more who found suburban homes just as affordable. By the fall, the City of Toronto saw the number of condos listed for sale double into November from the year before, causing average prices to fall 5% over last year to around the $660,000 level. Still, the second best third quarter on record and 10% from their peak in February when the average price for a 416 condo was $722,000. As a result, we are likely to see that price gap revert back to widening again as freehold home prices continue to rise faster than condos. Overall condo prices for the 416 have fallen by 4.7% year over year to an average price level of $625,828 as of the end of 2020. Thanks to the void left 
by the mass exodus of renters and homeowners in the 416 who either migrated to the suburbs for more space, perceived safety, or back home with parents for affordability, apartment supply surged from its lows of February 2020. The instant oversupply plunged rental rates lower, creating a negative cash flow situation for some investors. Throughout the course of last year, investors listed their condos for sale as office towers remained dark and employment activity was at a minimum. Canada's population recorded the smallest increase since 1946. Immigration into the country had stalled. Rental freezes were enacted. Federal foreign buyer taxes were introduced. Vacancy taxes were contemplated. Short-term Airbnb rentals were banned. Visiting tourists, students, and non-resident working executives were absent. However, the fall is when we started seeing the pendulum swing back to 416 condos. Specifically, transactions for resale condominium apartments. The third quarter saw new listings to active listings more than double in supply, while sales prices were 100% or greater than listed price, and average days on the market less than 20. By December, listings in Toronto's downtown core were capturing 98% of their asking price, generally within 35 days of listing. The bottom of the market for 416 condos may have been reached in the fall of 2020, as Toronto condos were the only housing in Canada that became more affordable over the year. Yet, there is still some time over the winter to capture some opportunities for first-time home buyers and investors willing to ride out the remainder of this COVID crisis, perhaps until 2022. Even though transactions remain at or near record levels, it will take some time for the added supply to be absorbed. Once restrictions are lifted completely and the borders open up again, the influx of office workers, foreign students, immigrants, and tourism will most likely cause us to re-experience the supply shortage of the last decade. Here are how the numbers played out statistically in the last few quarters of 2020. Toronto rent prices for all property types declined 18.9% lower year-over-year year in November 2020, averaging $2,066 per month within the central part of the city, or $3.12 a square foot, or and about $1,877 per month on average throughout the rest of the amalgamated city boundaries. These figures equate to a $400 drop in monthly rent rates in central Toronto, Compared with November 2019, expectations for 2021 were that Toronto would deliver a 4% annual increase by next December. The GTA as a whole saw rent prices decline by 16.4%, a $405 drop in rent year over year. Across the entire GTA, hardest hit specifically were condominium apartments, especially micro-apartments, and one-bedroom units dropping rents by 17.7% since November 2019. Rents in downtown Toronto for a one-bedroom unit has dropped below the $2,100 mark for seven straight months.
Purpose-built rental apartments saw a slightly less decline at 9.1%. Generally, the smaller the apartment, the more significant the drop. Inventory levels decline as units get slightly larger between the 1,200 and 1,400 square foot range before supply gradually increases again for larger units of 2,000 square feet or more. Oshawa provided the most gain in rental and condominium apartments at 13.8% in November 2020. According to Urban Nation, new condominium sales had dropped to a decade low in Q2 2020 before rebounding to a record pace highs in Q3. 65% of the deals for new condos launched in Q3 were concentrated in the 905 region where sales grew 106% year over year to an average selling price of $915 a square foot. The average selling price for new condos launched in Toronto was $1,275 per square foot. A total of 6,816 new condominium apartments reached completion in the GTA in Q3 2020, bringing the total year-to-date completions to 17,596 units, a 47% higher rate than a year ago. Completions are predicted to remain elevated with 22,434 new condos scheduled for 2021, more than 70% of which are located in the city of Toronto. So here's our guidance for individual condo investors. Winter 2020 into 2021 might be as close to the bottom as you can get for 416 condos. GTA rents are expected to continue to drop in the first quarter of 2021 as more listings and new construction supply comes on stream before slowly starting to recover late in the second half of the year. Downtown Toronto is poised to experience the biggest rebound as COVID conditions get increasingly better. Because of continually low interest rates, and the chance for another fractional cut, sales prices for condo apartments should continue to rise into 2021, albeit slowly, not at the same pace as other home types. Try today for a closing date in Q2 or later. As the vaccine rollout matures, by the second half of 2021, there may be an easing of restrictions for Canadians and immigrants scheduled for arrival into the country, pushing up demand for downtown living where schools, services, amenities, and jobs are typically most abundant. Expect months of inventory in downtown to decline over the next few quarters as supply gets absorbed rather quickly, first by investors. As we approach herd immunity, Universities are likely to open up their campuses to foreign students, thereby driving the renewed demand for downtown Toronto condos. Stay away from the micro units, one bedroom or one plus den units, and splurge for the more spacious two bedroom unit among the middle tiered floors of the building. Working from home requires more space. Avoid paying extra for the high rise views. Nobody wants to ride an elevator two, three people at a time for long periods of time. Source your tenants before purchasing. 
on social media, Kijiji, or other platforms before closing on your condo so that you can avoid potential vacancy taxes. If you're not considering downtown Toronto, you may want to consider Peel or Durham Region, which saw great demand recently. It's been estimated that five years of out-migration from urban cores have been accelerated in 2020 due to COVID. Cities outside the GTA, such as Oshawa, St. Catharines, Hamilton, Kitchener, Waterloo, Cambridge, Guelph, or Barrie may be ripe investment areas as these cities have frequent GO Transit links coming into the city of Toronto for work. Let's now transition our discussion to the investment market for multifamily apartment buildings. Overall, this asset class remains strong as market fundamentals stay optimistic. Most owners are not highly leveraged, especially institutional investors. Low borrowing costs mean refinancing would spare the need to sell. Few delinquencies have materialized as rent collections sustain rates greater than 90%. Downtown TO vacancy stands at around 2%. Outside of the city, occupancy rates have stabilized over the last part of the year, with only a slight vacancy increase experienced at around 2.4% for newer buildings less than 15 years old. This is the first time vacancy has surpassed 2% in the GTA in 10 years. But taken into perspective for investors, these vacancy rates would otherwise be relatively healthy across any other real estate asset class. There are limited opportunities to purchase newer apartment buildings and overall inventory remains relatively low. Stock of older buildings greater than 15 years old seem to be the default product most investors have left to pursue. Approximately 175 properties have sold over the last 12 months with approximately 134 transactions recorded in the first three quarters of 2020 and about 30 transactions in Q3 alone. The total number of transactions represents a decrease over 2019, yet the transaction volume was greater in 2020, with the average transaction price hovering around $29 million, average price per suite above $276,000, average number of units, 39. Most transactions sold within six months at 4 to 5% of asking price. The purpose-built apartment pipeline will continue to increase supply across the GTA. We've received an increase in over 2019 completions by roughly 36%. Many existing projects are coming to completion in 2021, resulting in the highest number of annual completions in more than a quarter century. Due to the surge in supply, rents in 2021 are expected to soften until the second half of the year. Landlords of all housing types will be attracting clients from a diminished pool of renters as more people trade up to single family homes. Despite lower trending rents, the average cap rate for this asset class in Toronto has landed between three and a quarter and three and three quarters percent over 2020. Suburban cap rates have been slightly larger by one point or so. Local and regional private investors have been cashing out 
to institutional investors and REITs who make up over 75% of the sales. The institutions still see the returns as good alternatives to the volatility of other asset classes and to buying lower yielding sovereign debt. As of Q3 2020, the spread between cap rates and bond yields were at their widest on record at over 500 basis points. Not all asset classes are underwritten equally due to differences in perceived risk, but there has been challenges over 2020 where lending has been conservative but still favorable, between 65 and 85% loan to value. Depending on who's asking for the money, their past history of success, the deal type, age, and location of the project. So here now is our guidance for apartment building investors. Looking at the first quarter and ahead into the new year, we can expect much of the same trends and challenges to endure as long as restrictions remain in place. The government mandated lockdowns will keep people from returning to urban centers. These measures could continue throughout 2021 to varying degrees as vaccinations roll out and COVID cases fall. But the longer these restrictions persist, the less likely amenities in the downtown cores can survive. Retail, restaurants, small businesses, private schools and churches might not be able to wait out the rollout. The allure of living downtown might fade along with the convenience of walking a few minutes to that office tower job. The takeaway here is that investors should look to the suburbs and secondary markets for apartment building acquisition, as more condominium towers across central Toronto come to completion in 2021. The record number of completions expected this year will potentially create more rental supply in direct competition with purpose-built apartment buildings and deliver more bargaining power to renters. We'll continue to see a vacancy rate inversion where more availability grows in urban centers over the suburbs. Consider the following markets instead. Belleville-Trenton, Kingston, Guelph, Kitchener-Waterloo-Cambridge, London, Hamilton, Niagara-St. Catharines, or Windsor. Many purpose-built rental buildings are competing with incentives, such as a one or two months free rent, free parking, free cable or internet for a limited period, and move-in bonuses of up to $1,500. Expect net operating income to decrease slightly as operating costs rise with the need for upgraded sanitary programs, upgrades to touchless doors and elevators, and utility consumption from tenants forced to stay home, and as work from home popularity is adopted as common practice. The challenges for investors going forward are tenant delinquencies and increasing vacancy from tenant turnover, increased insurance costs, increased municipal taxes, increased health and safety protocol costs, manned security and concierge staffing, and Ontario's Rent Freeze Bill 184 that begins in Jan January, which will prohibit the 1.5% guideline increase to rent controlled properties in 2021. In conclusion, continuing change brought about by this pandemic has affected how and where we live, 
how and where we work. The result of these changes will impact the demands and preferences of renters over the next few years. Multifamily properties will evolve to become as close to a one-stop shop as possible, adding features and services that reflect our current living environment. Tenant lounges might not be as favorable as on-site business centers or conference rooms. Pools, saunas, and small gyms might not be enough as renters may find more favor with a third-party health and wellness center, complete with diagnostic services, nutritional services, and medical fitness programming. Outdoor spaces will grow in importance. Rooftop terraces and gardens, nearby walking trails, patios and courtyards with grilling areas. On-site manned security and staffed front desk concierge for food and package delivery. More bike storage, personal lockers, and package delivery rooms. In-unit washer and dryers, larger appliances, bigger kitchens, home office spaces, and, re and reliable high-speed internet connectivity for work and streaming entertainment. From an operation standpoint, communication with your renters will be key to retention and avoiding delinquency. Provide tenants with updated help lists, emergency lists, lists of government programs, charities, and food banks. So look, times are still tough for some. And if you've been watching these episodes, you can read the economic signs that suggest a large portion of Canadians will become permanent renters over time. Even recent employment numbers continue to show low-wage earners are not recovering as fast as higher income earners, further exacerbating the gap between those who have versus those who have not. Real wages haven't increased faster than the efficiencies brought on by new technology, which drives costs down and replaces traditional jobs. The Bank of Canada will continue with quantitative easing for some time further, growing our sovereign debt levels well into 2022. Interest rates will remain low for some time further, so as to keep favor with a declining US dollar world reserve currency, which may be ending its fiat reign of 50 years since coming off the gold standard. I'm optimistic for the condominium and purpose-built apartment asset classes, especially as the health crisis subsides past 2021. Now might be the most affordable time to consider investing in hard assets to hedge against currency devaluation and the oncoming inflation expected ahead. Well, that's all for this week. Hopefully you found entertainment value in the data presented here, along with the insight into current market conditions, trends, and knowing what the future might look like. My goal is to help you save or make a lot of money through these episodes of CRE Next, Work Out Loud. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, and tap the notification bell below so that you don't miss out on any new content as soon as it's released. If you know anyone who could benefit from these episodes, please share so we can grow our community. You can also find us on other social media channels like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn, as well as in audio podcast versions of the show. I look forward to connecting with you on these platforms as well. Thank you for your time. For Real Estate Opportunities Together, 
I can be reached by telephone at 905-567-5602, by email delivery to mel at paramountrealestate.ca, or communicating through the comments section if you're watching by video or listening via podcast. Until next time, stay well and have a very prosperous new year.